Hey, this is Israel. Here at the river, we're all about the message of the gospel of peace. That the Bible says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel or the good news of peace. So we have good news for you. The war is over. God is not angry at you. God is in love with you. And you can have peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we hope this message is a blessing to you. You can visit us online at theriverdurant.com for more. Are you ready for the word today? Yeah. All right. I'm glad to be here. Amen. I drove right past a hospital to get here. Amen. <laughs> well, not today. Not today. I, I drove past the hospital yesterday to get here. <laughs> There's no hospital between our house and here, is there? Okay. Amen. I'm working through with you 32 points. 32 things that I believe have been misunderstood in the body of Christ and in scriptural understanding. And this teaching series is called For the Record. For the Record. We said that, oh, there we are. Yeah. Jesus did not pray to escape the cross. Let's go. Jesus was not poor. Paul was not poor. Therefore, we're not poor. That's right. Paul was being sarcastic when he spoke of his thorn in the flesh. We went through all that, you understand. And he, he, said, he said like seven times, he kept reminding us as he was doing all that, he kept reminding us, I speak like fools speak. I'm talking like the fools talk. I speak as one of the fools. Now, all those things he said, let's not forget, all those things he said were true. But he said, it's foolish to talk about them all the time. We don't, you don't need to be telling people all the things you've suffered for Jesus. Why do you want credit for it now? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. It's all, all your credit's getting erased in heaven. Yeah. Just be quiet. If you've suffered for Jesus, just be quiet. And talk, and talk about the glorious things he's done for you. Hallelujah. Yeah. Tell people about the answers of prayer. Don't tell them how you're struggling. Talk yeah. about how you're winning, praise yeah. God. Yeah. Amen. Everybody struggles. You can do that without the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. The great mystery of the New Testament is that Gentiles were accepted and that believing Jews tried to kill Paul for it. That's a great mystery, the mystery that, 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 that Gentiles were accepted and, and got, got all the blessings of Abraham by faith, by faith, by faith. The next one is, uh, if there are no, uh, oh, Jesus is still a man and yet still God. This is often misunderstood that he's still a man seated at the right hand of God. Remember we said when he showed himself to Paul, Paul said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth. What? From heaven, shining as bright as a noonday sun, he still identified himself as Jesus of Nazareth. Not Jesus of glory, not Jesus of Jerusalem, Jesus of Nazareth. That's the man talking there. God wasn't born in Nazareth. God wasn't raised in Nazareth. Yes, he was. God the man God was. So that says that if he's Jesus of Nazareth, then he's still, he's still a man, still identifies himself as a man. And what that really means for you and me is that as long as Jesus is loved by the Father as a man, the Father loves you. Amen. As long as he's accepted Jesus and allowed him to be in heaven, then the, then the Father accepts men and allows them to come to heaven. Amen. 
That's great news. If there are no denominations in heaven, in heaven they cannot be God's will on earth. They can't possibly be God's will. If, if, they're not, if God won't allow them in heaven, you know, he can't say, you know, okay, why should I let you into my heaven? Because I'm a, I'm a Lutheran. Well, Luther's here, but because I'm a Pentecostal or I'm a Baptist or I'm a Catholic. No, 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 no. None of that exists in heaven. None of that exists in heaven. My question is, why does it exist on earth? Because we all created that. We all just made all that up. We just made it all up. Men just make that stuff up. You know? What denomination are you of? Oh, I'd be ashamed. I'd be ashamed to have to say which one I am of. My mother goes to three churches. She goes to a different denominational church every Sunday just about. Just to prove a point. People ask her, ask, ask her what, what church you belong to? She said, are there two? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Are there two? Amen. The book of Genesis is not in the Old Testament. Wow. That was a shocker, wasn't it? The book of Genesis is not in the Old Testament. It's not. The Old Testament is defined in the Scriptures as the law of Moses. That's the Old Covenant. And that did not come till Exodus chapter 20. So that book, Genesis, see, that's where Paul goes to get all of New Testament theology. Paul goes, he goes to, to Genesis to get the centerpiece of, of Pauline doctrine, which is Genesis 15, 6, which says, And Abraham believed God, and that belief was accounted to him for righteousness. I don't know how you got your righteousness, but I got mine by believing on Jesus. Amen. Pure faith in God. The original sin was unbelief on Eve's part, but stealing on Adam's part. Not one word in there about pride and arrogance and, and rebellion or any of that. No, no, nothing in the Scripture says that, that that's what caused that. He, he stole a piece of fruit, and, and she simply disbelieved God, stopped believing God. So, so what, that's why the Lord makes our salvation, our coming back to Him, the pinnacle moment is to believe again. To believe, to believe in what the Lord has done. Amen. Amen. All right. Christ bled five times, not seven. He bled five times. He bled five times. And the fifth bleeding was a five-point bleeding. And remember, we said that five best represents grace. Five in the Scriptures is the number of grace. Seven is the number of perfection. But that's not what, that is not what the crucifixion was about. The crucifixion was about the grace of God being released for mankind. Praise God. Him suffering and bleeding and dying like He did was all about to deliver this wonderful message of peace with God. Hallelujah. Peace with God. Five and five, so that when we lift our hands, if we count them, we lift our hands. And we offer our sacrifice of praise, glory to God. Lifting up holy hands that have been cleansed by blood. All right, next one. Nineveh was spared because they believed. Everybody always says Nineveh was spared because they repented. But not one time in that, in that passage does it say they repented. Twice it says God repented. I wish preachers would just preach the Bible, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> now, well, let's admit, Jesus did, it, did, did say that they did repent, but what they actually did was believe. So what Jesus is saying is believing is repentance. Right. You need to get this down. Repentance doesn't necessarily mean you, you're in faith or, or Judas would, have, would be in heaven today. Right. 
Judas repented, even took back the, the 30 pieces of silver. He repented, and it says that he hung himself and then fell down and broke apart. His body broke, and, and his bowels gushed out. I know it's a little bit rough language, but that's what the Bible says. So here's what I always say about, re, about Judas and repentance. Re, Judas repented his guts out, <laughs> and it didn't help him. <laughs> he re- <laughs> You can repent your guts out. It ain't going to help you if you're not in faith. But the moment you get in faith, that begins to change your heart. So repentance is a gift from God. Hallelujah. As you believe. Believe that what Jesus did. Now, here we are at number. What number was that? We are now at number 15. Strap yourselves in. This is a little bit, little bit hard to get a hold of. I'm not trying to make an argument here. I just, I just want you to understand what the Bible teaches. It's my job to teach you the Bible. Number 15 is congregational speaking in tongues is the only way tongues is demonstrated in the Bible. I'm telling you this for a reason. Most of us who are spirit-filled believe and, and come under the spirit-filled doctrine, we believe in speaking in tongues. It's not something that's odd to most of us here. Most of you, you, you've heard people speak in tongues or you know about it in the scriptures or you've experienced it yourself and you've spoken in tongues. Hear me say now, because I don't want any misunderstanding. We do not believe that the Bible teaches that you must speak in tongues to be saved. The Bible does not teach that. Everybody hear me. The Bible teaches that people who speak in tongues have been empowered by the Spirit, not only to do that, but to do other greater things. So it's a gift from God, but it's only for believers. Okay, that's why there's misunderstanding sometimes. Only believers are allowed to speak in tongues. Some churches, you know, they talk about speaking in tongues. Oh, that's, that's of the devil, they'll say, or it's not from God at all. Uh, our missionaries were in Africa, and they heard people who didn't even know God speaking doing that, singing that gibberish and saying those kind of things, just speaking in tongues. He's of the devil. I said, well, the Bible doesn't say that. Paul went all kinds of places. Nobody ever spoke in tongues around him. And every time, every time in the scriptures it shows, it says that somebody spoke in tongues, it was an obvious sign to them that God was doing this. There's not one time in scripture where anybody speaking in tongues is not speaking in tongues on the basis of being empowered by God. Every single time it's identified as being the Holy Spirit. Every single time. So I can't help what your missionary experienced. I can't teach what happened to them. I won't teach what happened to them as though it's the truth. All I can teach is what I see in this Bible. Everybody understand this? I want you to get like that. I want you to be hardcore, hard-nosed. If it's in the Bible, this is what we believe. I don't care what I've experienced or what I've done. I'm going to believe what the Bible says. I will not make my experience be superior to what the the revelation of the written word is. I will make my experience bow to the written word and let the written word say what is. Amen. Amen. Can, Can I get a good amen here? This is how we all live safe. We all live safe and keep our minds clear so we don't get off in weird doctrines. Amen. I mean, it's weird enough that you speak in tongues, isn't it? It's <laughs> just kind of weird. I mean, it's strange, you know. Uh, I do it. I do it on a regular basis. I, I speak in tongues because I'm just like Paul. Well, I'm not just like Paul, but I want to be like Paul. Uh, Paul says, I, I, I will pray with the Spirit. And I will pray with the understanding also. So so what he's saying is, I will speak in tongues. And he didn't say, if God allows me. He said, I will do it. 
And he said, I will pray in the Spirit just like I will pray with my understanding. He didn't need God. He didn't need God to tell him when he could pray in, the, in his understanding, just like he didn't need God to tell him when he could pray in the Spirit. That willful, that willful event was under Paul's control. Or he could not have said it like he said it in the Scriptures. So what we're saying here is that when you've received the baptism in the, in the Spirit, you can pray in tongues whenever you get ready. You can do that because Paul said you could. He said you all may speak in tongues. You all may prophesy. He said you could. And the church doesn't know this. The church thinks it has to be this ecstatic experience. You know, when I was, I was brought up, you know, in, in a tradition where, where there had to be this flow happening and, and it would be this fever pitch. And I mean, it would just, just kind of have to build and have to reach a certain pinnacle moment. And then, then somebody, would break, somebody would break out speaking in tongues. Because <laughs> y'all didn't know Fred Flintstone was the first charismatic, did you? <laughs> and that's kind of how it had to happen because we, 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 you know, just get into that frenzy rather than just like, like they did in the scriptures. They just would lift their voices and speak in tongues. You know, I know, it's, I know it's kind of out there sometimes, but it is what it is. And, and I read in the scriptures that, that these people... Uh, when, they, when they got together, every time it, it says that somebody was speaking in tongues, every single time that I found in the Scriptures, this is Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19, every single time it was all the people all at once speaking in tongues. All the people in that group all at once, they were all speaking in tongues at once. Not, every, not everybody likes that. Most Bible teachers don't like that. They feel like, that. well, that's out of order. I had one, one friend of mine, and I won't, I won't tell you that he was Baptist. He, he came into my office. <laughs> great guy, great guy. Loved Jesus deeply, you know. Good, good sweet guy. Uh, please don't hate the Baptist because I said that. I, he's a sweetheart of a man. Uh, but he came into my office, and he said, John, could we talk about something? I said, Sure. What do you want, Jim? Jim the Baptist. He's a good guy. And Jim said, well, I, I'd like to look at the scriptures and let you know why Baptists don't speak in tongues. I thought, Jesus, you just dropped this little gift right in my lap. I don't know if this guy didn't know that I knew what he knew and why. I, I didn't know. I just thought, Really? Sure, I would love to study the Bible with you about the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And he opens his Bible. He says, well, let's, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 14. I went, okay, 1 Corinthians 14. I'm giddy inside because this is my specialty. I teach the Holy Spirit at Christ for the nations. Of all the teachers they could have asked to do it, they picked me because I know this stuff. And, and we, see, we see wonderful things happen with our students because I teach them about the Holy Spirit. They just see wonderful things happen. We, 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 we call them forward. Sometimes there will be as many as 50, 60, 70 of them who haven't received the baptism of the Spirit yet. And they come forward, and because, because I t teach them from the Scriptures, and then we lay hands on them, they just break out speaking in tongues, just one after the other. As many as 48, I think it was, in one session received the baptism of the Spirit, all spoke in tongues. Just because it teaches them from the Bible. Why, why would you be afraid of something that's so scriptural? That's so, that's so, the Bible is just full of, you know? Why would you be afraid of that? Well, anyway, he and I, we sat and talked, 1 Corinthians 14, and we're studying. He said, let me, let, me just, let me just read it for you. And, we'll just, and I said, okay, read. 
I'm saying, Jesus, he's about, to, he's about to hit a snag. I knew where he was going, and I knew what snag he was up against. I acted like I didn't know, though. Is that wrong? Well, anyway, I did it. <laughs> I'm kind of going, here, kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> and he, he just reads at right down to the noose and sticks his head in. Let me take you to the news. Y'all want to see what the news is? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21. 1 Corinthians 14, 21. There's about four verses here we're going to look at. First Corinthians 14, 21. <laughs> In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Wherefore, Paul says, tongues are for a sign. By the way, in the law, he's, he's really quoting from Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. That's where that passage, that quotation comes from, Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe but to them that believe not. Did you see that it says that tongues, that is God's people speaking in tongues, serves as a sign to unbelievers? Now, what do they say in most churches? We don't speak in tongues because we don't want to scare anybody off. You know, we get all lock, a lot of unbelievers come to our church. A lot of unbelievers, people that don't know the Lord, don't know anything about the Lord. And so we don't want to be speaking in tongues and scaring them off. What did that just say? What did that just say? Does it say it scares them off or it's a sign for them? It's a sign for them. It was at Pentecost. 3,000 people got saved on that day. 3,000 people got saved on that day. You follow me? I wonder why we don't have more people getting saved in church. Could it be that we don't use our sign? I'm going to be like Bill Lingvall. Here's your sign. I'm gonna, I, today I'm giving you your sign back, praise God. Not, not, not I'm stupid sign, but, but I speak in tongue sign. Amen. It's a sign for unbelievers. I didn't write this, but I'm just telling you what he said. We have to slow down to understand the whole passage. And I said that to him. I said, Jim... Did you see what you just read? Yeah. Tongues is a sign for unbelievers. Yeah. Well, I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, I didn't think you'd ever seen it either, Jim. When we started this, I kind of knew you hadn't seen it, brother. It's a sign for unbelievers. What kind of sign do you have for unbelievers? Well, now, John, you know, these days, we t I said, oh, no, no, I thought we were studying the Bible. I don't want to talk about these days. I thought we were studying the Bible. It was your idea. Now the noose is tight on his neck. I hadn't strung him up yet, but we got the noose tight. <laughs> I hadn't whipped the horse yet. <laughs> Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. 
But prophesying serves not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So there, there should be prophesying in the church. That's what we had today. We had a prophetic word today. Came to encourage the people of God. There should be prophets in the church who have words from God. There should be dreamers who who get something to edify and encourage the church. Amen. Today I just want to release God's people into the spirit. You know, amen. You're here. You might as well be used to to edify the body. Then verse 23, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues. He said, John, that's what we're talking about right there. When everybody's speaking in tongues at once, I said, slow down, Jimbo. Slow down. Are you going to really add the words at once in the text when they're not there? He said, what? I said, did it say? Did it say? And does it say in the Greek? And you know it doesn't. Did it say if everybody speaks in tongues at once? Is that what it said? He said, well, no, but it's implied. I said, no, it's not. The very opposite is implied because you've got to use its antithesis. In theology, we do thesis and antithesis to make comparisons and contrasts. Verse 23, if, they all, if you all speak with tongues, okay, well, they not say you're mad. And look at verse 24. Here's his antithesis. But if all prophesy, I said, Jim, you know and I know that any good hermeneutic says, if you have to add words for clarity in the thesis, you have to add those same words for clarity in the antithesis. 23 is the thesis. 24 is the antithesis. Their antithesis, the opposite. You understand? So what we're saying is, it can't be saying if you all speak in tongues at once because he wouldn't, be say, he wouldn't say if you all prophesy at once. Everybody understand what we're saying here? I want you to understand this. So it must be because 24 is the one that, that lays down the rule for what we're talking about. We know he's saying if everybody prophesies taking turns. They're going to be edified. Then he must be saying in verse 23, if logic means anything, verse 23 must be that what Paul is saying, if you all prophesy, if you all speak in tongues, taking turns, they'll say you're mad. The Corinthian church was having themselves a heyday. This guy would speak in tongues, and that one speak in tongues, and that lady would speak in tongues, and that kid over there would speak in tongues, and that one, 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 and that one. And they stood there all day, everybody taking their turn. My turn, yeah, ba-da-ba-doo, hey, better, 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 yeah, ba-da-ba-doo, hey, better, 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 better. Just went on and on and on and on and on. They had lost complete control. It was just out of control. How many of you know it can get out of control? Come on, let's admit it. I've seen it. I've been there, done that. Got the T-shirt. I went crazy with tongues, you know. That has to be what he's saying. Our hermeneutics and proper interpretation of the scriptures mean nothing. I said this to Jim, and he sat and scratched his head and looked at the scriptures and went, golly. <laughs> a guy with a master's degree in theology said, golly. He said, I'm going to have to reread that. I said, yeah, you might ought to reread it. Sometimes God gives you a gift. So what we're saying is, if someone takes the floor to speak in tongues, there should be an interpretation of that tongue behind that. But if everyone in the building is speaking in tongues as a praise to God, 
Well, that's perfectly acceptable. It happened in Acts chapter 2. It happened in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house. And these are both precedent-setting moments. The very first time in all of history was Acts chapter 2. The very first time it ever happened to a Gentile. Any Gentiles in the building? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got bacon on your breath, I know. Mm-hmm, Gentiles. The very first time in the Gentile world it, it had ever happened. Both precedent-setting moments. And then the third time was under Paul's own ministry. Under Paul's own ministry at Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, it happened. And I don't want to take time to document all of it, but you can look it up yourself. Under Paul's own ministry in Acts chapter 19, when he, laid his hand, he had laid his hands on all of them, it says, then the Holy Spirit fell on all those. And they all began to speak with other tongues. It's not weird. I don't know why, how the church ever began to think that people speaking in tongues was something crazy and weird. By the way, take your Bible and turn to the very first book of the Bible. Yeah, T take your Bible, flip over there to the book of contents. <laughs> if you've got a digital Bible, you don't have the book of contents. You don't have the first book of the Bible. You've got to have a paper Bible to have the, the first book of the Bible, which is the book of contents. <laughs> huh? Here's why I'm just, I just want to take the weirdness out of it. I want you to see. Look at the book of contents. You got the book of contents there? See the New Testament? Would you, would you read who's there in first, first in the New Testament? Matthew. Matthew. Hey, I got a news flash. Matthew spoke in tongues. <laughs> Here's one of the 120. Who's the next one? Mark, Mark spoke in tongues. <laughs> who's the next one? Luke. Luke, he spoke in tongues. How weird is that? Why, why, why does the church believe that people who speak in tongues are weird old freaks? Do you know why they call the Quakers the Quakers? The people who built Pennsylvania, the people who established institutions of government, uh, ed educational institutions, built libraries, these people who, who built infrastructures for a great, uh, a great state and, 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 and helped establish America as America. They were called Quakers. You know why they were called Quakers? Because when they went to church, they shook. These are not weird old ruffians that tramp out of the backwoods with no brains. These are educated, powerful people who, in the presence of God, give themselves to, the, to whatever manifestations the Lord wants to make. That's not weird. You're kind of weird if you won't do that. If you just go to church and sit there, I think you're supposed to be quiet in church. Shout your head off at the cowboy game, but be quiet in church. When did the church get like that? How did the church so become so institutionalized and dead that we think that's normal, and then when people shake in church or speak in tongues in church, there's some kind of weirdos. When the book that we revere was written, the book that we revere was written by people who speak in tongues. Luke, John spoke in tongues. Paul, all 13 letters, Paul speaks in tongues. He said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. You love Paul's doctrine? You're reading the doctrine of a maniac about tongues. He said, I speak in tongues more than everybody. How do you know this? How do you know? How does he know that he speaks in tongues more than anybody in the church? And he's talking to the Corinthian church. You know how much they liked it. Huh? How, how can he possibly know that he spoke in tongues more than anybody in the church? He had to be doing it all the time. He just had to be doing it all the time. There's no way to know that thing unless, you, unless you're really in it. What comes up to Paul, Hebrews, James, 
James spoke in tongues. First, second, Peter, Pete spoke in tongues. First, second, third, John, John spoke in tongues. Jude, one of the original 12, he's the other Judas, spoke in tongues. Ladies and gentlemen, the New Testament was written by a bunch of tongue talkers. <laughs> How do we revere the Bible and act like people who speak in tongues are weird? Am I making any sense here? Why would you read the book of somebody who doesn't speak in tongues? He's trying to explain to you what these guys who did speak in tongues mean. I might be stupid, but I'm not that stupid. I don't read the books of theologians who don't speak in tongues. How can they possibly be telling me who do speak in tongues what these guys who spoke in tongues who wrote to all churches, all that were tongue-talking churches? How am, I, how am I supposed to think that this guy knows what we're supposed to be believing and what they meant when they said it? Am I making any sense? Is it just me or am I completely out of line? It's strong. If you slow down and let yourself believe it, slow down and let yourself believe what it's actually saying. Because the only way it's ever demonstrated is when the church prays in tongues together. Just lift their voices and pray in tongues. I have a friend. I may have shared this story with you sometime, some time ago. I have a friend. His name's Tony. Of course, his name's Tony. He's either Luigi or Tony because he's Italian. <laughs> And he used to be a bodyguard for a, for a member of the mob in Southside Chicago. Tony is big, he's burly and curly, and Italian and Greek. Half Italian, half Greek. He knew what a fight was. And he knew how to eat. He could really cook pizza, pizza and pastas. Before he got saved, though, he ran with the mob. Did you ever meet Tony Satriano? Do you know who I'm talking about? One bad dude. And he got saved and became a cop. And it was like he could read the criminals' minds. He would show up. He would show up at places just as the criminals are showing up to make their, their drug deals and what have you. He would just be there. He said, John, I don't know how I got there except the Holy Ghost just told me to go to such and such a location. I'd just go there and then they'd show up and commit their crimes right in front of me with me watching them. And I'd go over and arrest them. He said it happened over and over and over. And he showed me, he got a whole, work, a whole, a whole scrapbook full of things where the Holy Ghost led him to solve these crimes. Just amazing. Just amazing. You know why he got saved? Because some guy in a grocery store had given him a tract. He and his wife were in there, and they were cussing, carrying on, you know, just being filthy mouthed. And this guy said, man, you need to, and he handed him a little tract. Four spiritual laws. You ever see Bill, Bill Bright's uh, Four spiritual laws tract? Bill Bright, by the way, was an Okie. Praise God. Amen. Graduated from Northeastern State University in Tahlequah. And uh, he handed him that tract, Four Spiritual Laws. Tony said, he, he said, I just took it and stuck it in my pocket because I didn't want anybody to see me reading it, you know. And then cussed at the guy to get out of his way. But he kept the tract. He said, I took it home, threw it down on the kitchen table, and left it there. And went about my business. Next morning, got up, went in there to get my coffee. He said, there was that tract. He thought, hmm, well, I'll read it. And he said, I read the tract. And after it was done, he called his wife in there. You want to guess her name? Her name is Bobby, Roberta. Roberta! Roberta came in there. He said, well, you might ought to read this. I think there's something to it. So she read it. She said, wow, I want to do that. So they prayed the little prayer on the back. 
and says, and if you prayed this prayer and you meant it, sign your name and, and, and call this phone number. So they signed their name and called that phone number. That's all they knew. And a guy on the other end of the line said, yeah, come to such and such location on Sunday. We'll be there having church. He said, okay. So they show up, and they're still, they're still not all together fixed. You understand what I mean? They're, they're pretty rough. So they walk into church smoking. And they sit, and they sit on the steps because the church is down in, in, in Chicago. You know, it's it, they, they had rented a basement, a little charismatic church, and about a couple hundred people down there, down in a, in a big basement area, and they had folding chairs all set up. And they, he said, we wouldn't go on in. We just kind of sat on the stairs and blew smoke out over them. <laughs> he said, and you know what changed me? What made me know all this was real and identified with me on the inside? He said, after they were singing. He said, they started singing in tongues. And he said, I heard that. I heard it. He said, it was like this musical giant beehive. And he said, I put my cigarette down on the steps and put it out. And Bobby put hers out. And we sat there and looked at each other with goosebumps all along our arms. She said, what is that, Tony? What is that? He said, I got no idea what it is, but there's one thing I know for sure. God is in this place. One thing I know for sure, there is a God, and He's in this place. He said, i got to go down there. So they got up, and they walked down there and told them their whole story, what had happened. And the guy who had, let them, who had given them that tract was there in that church and connected them. About a year later, they were at Christ for the Nations, which is where I met them and heard the story. You understand what I'm saying? Hardcore sinner, that guy. To the core sinner. There's no telling what things he had done when he was working with the mob. It's just no telling what things he had done working for the mob. But hearing a whole congregation speak in tongues at once was a sign to him that God was in the room. Can I have a good amen? amen. So we're not going to be weird and flaky about that. We're going to do it. We're going to enjoy it. Amen. Amen. You have a right to enjoy the blessings of God in that respect. All right. Number 16, only Paul wrote to the Gentiles, and Paul was the principal writer in the New Testament. Only Paul wrote to the Gentiles. Paul was the principal writer of the New Testament. I asked my Bible study the other night, few nights ago we've been we've been looking at Romans been looking at Romans and Romans Miss Ann I want you to read Romans chapter 4 and verse 5 only Paul wrote to the Gentiles I didn't say that James wasn't a good book I didn't say that first and second Peter weren't good books and that you and you can read them you can read them that you'll get a blessing from them there's good things in there for you. Romans chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6. and seven, read, just, just, just start reading. But to him that works not, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Read on. His faith is counted for righteousness. His faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describes the blessedness of the man unto whom the Lord will not 
Impute sin? Is that what it says? Read on. And to whom God imputed righteousness. Okay. Without works. So, I asked my Bible study. I said, finish this. Faith without works is, and they all shouted out, dead. I said, is that what we just read? They said, it's a trick question. Try us again. <laughs> so, so, that doesn't say that faith without works is dead. That says faith without works is righteousness. I didn't write it. I just dare to believe it. Paul never said faith without works is dead to Gentiles. Ah, Paul said faith without works is righteousness. Abraham didn't do anything righteous that day. He just believed God. In fact, he was acting kind of unrighteous, if you ask me. He was. Let's turn to Genesis 15. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. He was acting a little bit unrighteous that day, if you ask me. You didn't ask me, but I'm telling you anyway. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. Praise God, praise God. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Oh, what a wonderful word. How many of you like for God to speak that to you personally? Well, he has. Hallelujah. He has. That's your word, too. He spoke that to Abram. And then Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless in the steward of my house, this Eliezer of Damascus? Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Abe. The Lord just told you. He was your exceeding great reward. What's this question about? What's this question about? Like, he's lucky saying, I don't really believe that. Yeah, I don't really believe it. You're going to have to give me something to show me because I just don't believe it. Verse 3. And Abram said, Behold, to me you've given no seed. And look, one born in my house is my heir. He's a little bit snotty. When you give it the, the feelings that are really there, he's a little bit snotty there. He's not being all that righteous. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Verse 5. And he, the Lord, brought him, Abram, forth abroad. And said, he, he, what he did is brought him out of his tent. Come out of there. Come out of that tent, boy. Now look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Verse 6, and he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. Wow. This is one of the greatest passages of Scripture in the Bible. In fact, this passage of Scripture is the one that, that, that the Apostle Paul really got a hold of and began to craft all of New Testament doctrine around this single hub right here. All that is New Testament doctrine has as its axle that verse of Scripture. He repeats it over and over and over and elaborates on the theology of it over and over and over. There is no way to be made righteous except by faithfully, faithfully, simply believing God. 
believing in what God promised. No other way to do it, no other way to get it. People are trying to get it other ways. They're trying to keep it other ways. They say, well, I wasn't made righteous by, by works, but, but if I don't work, I'll lose it. Well, then you, get, you didn't get the righteousness I got. I got everlasting life. I got eternal life. I didn't get a sort of life. I didn't get a life that, had, that ran out on Tuesday. I mean, you, you're walking down the road one day. Oh my, oh, my goodness, I just went unrighteous. What happened? My prescription ran out. No. No. It's not, it's not something that I had to rent or had to get on loan or, 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 or keep for a little while or, or a package sent to me in the mail that if I don't treat it right, it, it'll, it'll get old and crusty. No, it's something that happened to you. It happened to you on the inside of you. You have been made new. You have been made eternally alive. You became a new creature, praise God. Yeah, all else is just religion. All else is just law. But new, the new covenant says this is not something that you do. This is somebody that you have become. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Oh, I like preaching faith. So Jesus had to get a guy like Paul to believe this and to write it. Now, here's why Paul worked so well. Because he had done everything right to the finest sliver of the law and had kept it, he said, blamelessly. And he knew his own heart that he was still evil. He knew that he was chasing down Christians. He knew that he was standing there that day Stephen was killed. He knew that he had murder in his heart. And then if he had a chance, he'd kill anybody that got in his way. He knew what was in him, and he had kept the law blamelessly. So when Jesus told him, you can be made righteous by simply believing in me, everything changed for the Apostle Paul. Everything changed. He's the perfect guy to say, hey, buddy, you think you're good because of how you perform? It won't work. Faith without works is the only way to be made righteous. Faith without works is righteousness. I know what you're thinking. Well, what did James mean? I'm not altogether sure. I don't even need to be sure. All I know is that one verse of Scripture in James, I would be an absolute imbecile to let it cancel out all of Paul's doctrine. Just because I don't understand what it means. I know a little bit about what it means. He was talking to Jews. James was written to Jewish believers. And Jewish believers have a compunction and a responsibility to keep the law to maintain their Jewishness. No place in Scripture were they ever let out of keeping the law. And I believe they have to keep the law, not for righteousness' sake, but for Jewishness' sake. Okay? And their righteousness, therefore, has, has a, an addendum to it. That they came into this thing through the law, they keep the law, they're made righteous by faith in Jesus, but that does not let them out of keeping the law. It's all attached. It's all part of the package. Faith without works to a Jew is dead because his works are manifestations of his faith. You understand? Well, Holler, how can you be so sure? How can you be so sure that it's, that it's to them? Well, let's just read it then. James chapter 1 and verse 1. James chapter 1 verse 1.
James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Gentiles who are scattered all over the world. Is that what your Bible says? It doesn't say that at all, does it? To the 12 tribes. The Cherokee wasn't in the 12 tribes there, y'all. Chickasaw and Choctaw, they're not listed in the 12 tribes. Comanche, none of them. Not, that's not the tribes he's talking about. You know what tribes he's talking about? Anybody tell me? The 12 tribes of Israel. These are the sons of Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad and Asher, those are the concubine sons in that order. Issachar and Zebulun, which is ten, those back to Leah's sons. And then Joseph and Benjamin, the twelve, which are Rachel's sons. Come on, tell somebody. I knew he could do it. Anyway, <laughs> the, twelve, the, twelve, the twelve tribes of Israel, that's who he's talking about. You don't come from them. You don't come from them. And it says they're scattered abroad, greeting. Meaning they were, they, they, this word, the word here for scattered is the Greek word diaspora. D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A. Diaspora, meaning the scattered ones. The, the, it, and it's always in reference. Every time you find it, it's always in reference to the, to the people of Israel who've been scattered amongst the Gentiles. Gentiles were not considered to be scattered. Not in this time. They were scattered at the Tower of Babel, but they were not scattered in this time. The Jews were scattered in this time. The 12 tribes were scattered in this time. So when the book of James was written, he was writing it specifically to the Jews. So here's how you read the book of James. And 1 Peter, the same way. Let's turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 1. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers, what, what's that word? There's that diaspora again, Spat, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are all provinces of what we know as Asia Minor. We also know it today, in modern day, as Turkey. Okay? It's that little wing of the continent of Asia that comes out under, under Europe into the Mediterranean Sea. Just above it's the Black Sea and so forth. All right, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered. The Jews were strangers in a land, the diaspora. So who did Peter write to? He wrote to the 12 tribes, just like James did. Why? Let's turn to Galatians chapter 2, and you'll see why. Galatians chapter 2. Let's everybody turn it real quick, real quick, real quick. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Is it okay to study the Bible in church? Okay, we're still doing it. These things are important for you to understand the overall revelation. That's why I'm going through these things with you. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 6. But of those who seem to be somewhat, Paul saying, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God accepts no man's person. He's talking about when he went to Jerusalem. <laughs> He's talking about the 12 apostles of the Lamb, like, well, they're, I don't know who they were, somebody. I've never met any of them, don't, don't really care. That's what he's saying. Yeah, they were something, but I don't know what they were. Some kind of big shot, but <laughs> who cares? What? I think one of them's name was Thaddeus or something like that, you know. One guy from up north, Frosty or whatever his name was. 
But of those who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God accepts no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. When we came together quietly, they didn't add one thing to me when I told them what I'd been preaching. But on, on the other hand, contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision, that is the Gentiles, was committed to me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. Wow. Wow. Why? My question is why? If it's all the same, why is there a big deal here? I can understand. I mean, I can understand if he said, Paul, I'm going to send you to the Romans, but I'm going to send this guy over here to the Indians, and I'm going to send this guy here to the Great Britons, and I'm going to send this guy to the, to, you know, to the Texans, and I'm going to send, send this guy here. That's kind of what it did to me. Yeah, I'm going to send this guy over here to that, and over here to that, and over here to that. I, I can understand that if it's a nationalistic and cultural thing, right? Because you're going to have to learn that language and have to learn that language. So go prepare to go minister to those people. But that's not what this is talking about. Jews were scattered everywhere. There are are millions of kinds, thousands of kinds, I should say, of Gentile. But he picked Peter for the Jews, Paul for the Gentiles. Why? In fact, he picked all 12 of his originals, not just Peter, all 12 of the original 12. He picked them. He said in Matthew chapter 19, he said, you 12 shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. The reason he picked 12 was because there were 12 tribes of Israel. Their ministry starts to the end. On judgment day, those 12 are going to sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Their ministry start to finish is all about Israel. Even on judgment day, when they sit on the throne. You follow me? Their, 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 their authority has never been about us. Ever been about us. Which makes it so silly that the established, organized Religious church, founded about 1,700 years ago, picks Peter as the pope of the Gentile church. Are you kidding? I mean, I know a sham when I see one. That's just a sham. They had Paul in prison there. They had the right guy. If you want a pope, that's the guy. Pick the wrong guy. Pick the, yeah, it's kind of funny, isn't it? It's kind of sad, really. They had the right guy. I missed it. Because Peter was never called to minister. The Bible says it clearly. Never called to minister to Gentiles. In fact, I can show you a few scriptures where Jesus told him not to go to the cities of the Gentiles. Don't go to them. Told all 12 of it, don't go to the Gentiles. He raised Paul up for that. Everybody got this? Explain to me, if my ministry, if the Lord told me not to minister to Gentiles, why would he tell me to write books, write letters and send it to Gentiles? He wouldn't, would he? I don't want you ministering to them, but I want you to, you know, minister to them. Don't minister to them with your words, but minister to them with your written words. That's even stronger. Yeah. I'm going to forget your air words. I'm not ever going to forget your written words. You follow me? This is why we're, it's important to know this. It's why most people don't know what they believe. 
They can't make up their minds what they believe because they're always trying to blend what Peter, James, and John wrote with what Paul wrote. And ladies and gentlemen, they are not compatible in many instances because they have different audiences. Are they the Word of God? Yes. Yes, it's all the Word of God. It's all the Word of God. It's all inspired. Every bless- Listen, Leviticus is inspired. Leviticus is inspired, but we're not going to drag lambs in here and start killing them every Sunday. Are we? I'm not. I'll watch you do it if you need me to, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> if you need to kill a lamb, bring it to my house. <sighs> I'll eat it afterwards. <laughs> That's why Frank's with me there, praise God. When James, verse 9, we're still in, still in Galatians 2. When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go into the heathen and they into the circumcision. Well, we know how that thing with Barnabas turned out. He didn't stick with his call, and so he never writes a book. We don't know anything about what Barnabas had to say but to the Gentiles. All we know is what Paul said. And we know that the other letters were written to the Jews. Now, here's, here's a powerful thing. They were Christians just like you are. In fact, there was a moment of revelation that came in Acts chapter 15 when the apostle Peter, and they're all discussing, how do, we, how do we incorporate these Gentiles in with us? And Peter said, no, we're not incorporating them in with us. They're not going to keep the law like we did. Uh-uh. We, our fathers weren't able to do it anyway. He said, you're going to tempt God if you do that kind of thing. He said, in fact... We're going, to be in, we're going to be saved just like they are. By faith in Jesus. Faith alone. He says it clearly there in Acts chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. We believe that we shall be saved even as they are. Amen. And they didn't get that revelation at first. They thought they were saved because of how badly they repented, how bad they felt about killing their Messiah. And God accepted that as faith. He's looking for any reason to forgive. You understand this? God is looking for any reason to forgive. He's not, trying, he's not trying to get you to jump through a bunch of hoops and make you a religious freak so he can forgive you. He's looking for any reason to forgive. They had a guy strapped to a stretcher, and they had to tear a hole in the roof and let him down. Right? This guy's got the palsy. He's in bad, bad, bad shape. They let him down through the roof. And Jesus is up there. He's teaching. He's teaching. And all of a sudden, here comes a guy on a, on a, on a beer. He's strapped, strapped onto a little, uh, what, what do they call it? It's a, in the Scriptures, it's a beer. What is, uh, a stretcher. Yeah. Get him strapped to a stretcher. They let him down through the roof. And Jesus is up there teaching. All of a sudden, here comes this guy. <laughs> right in front of him. Couldn't get, to, couldn't, get, couldn't get to him because of the crowd. Tear a hole in the roof. Let him down. Now, this is, these are people that are serious about getting their friends to Jesus. I'm just, I'm just, I just want to point it out this morning. There are some empty seats here for your friends to come to Jesus. Amen. Anyway, they, they, you, and you don't even have to tear the roof off. You can just bring them right in the front door. It's plenty of, <laughs> amen. Brought them in there and sat them down. And Jesus looked at them. He had to look up, debris still falling from the roof almost, you, know, you can see it. And he looks up and it says, and when he, Jesus saw their faith, not his faith, their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, son, 
Now, why was he there? He was there to get healed. But that's not what Jesus addressed first. He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. This guy hadn't done a thing about his sins. Jesus is showing that any action of faith toward God causes God, his first response is to forgive sins. Wow. His first response is just to forgive sins. Let's get that out of the way. Any action of faith toward God. Any action of faith toward God. You're here today as an action of your faith. You've probably been thinking, oh man, I got some junk in my trunk. I go, well, don't look so religious. You've got some of that junk in your trunk too. You know what I'm talking about? You stuff. Uh, but you came to church, you're here, and I'm telling you that God saw, saw your arrival here as an action of faith. And his forgiveness is out there for you today. Come on, why don't you just close your eyes for a minute and say, I receive it, I receive it, I receive it. Come on, mean it from your heart. Say, I receive it in the name of Jesus. I receive my forgiveness. I receive everything that I need to make me all I need to be. I'm in this thing to win it. Praise God. I believe I receive in Jesus' name. He won't hold anything against you when you, when you approach him in faith. You approach him in faith. I'm almost finished. Can you stand two more minutes? All right. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Next time we're going to talk about number 17, which is Stephen had a choice as to whether or not he was going to die that day as the church's first martyr. I am convinced he had a choice. And I'm going to talk to you about that. Show you how you can live long if you want to live long. And I believe it is the will of God. I believe it was the will of God for Stephen to live long. I do not believe it was the will of God for Stephen to die young. But I do believe it was the, the will of Stephen to die and give his life for the sake of the gospel. And the Lord will always accept that as a sacrifice of his life. Amen. Amen. We're going to talk about that at length next, next week and talk about how, how it is the will of God for you to live long and prosper. There are so many promises that have attached, or so many commandments that have attached the promise of long life. One of them being, young people hear me, obeying your parents has a promise of a, a promise of long life. Amen. It's the first commandment with promise. All kinds of things. We're going to talk about this all at length next week. How many of you want to live long and prosper? Come on, anybody here want to live long? I want to live to be an old, old man. I know some of you look at me and say, hey, buddy, you're pretty much already there. Well... <laughs> But I want, I want to live to be old, old. I, I want the 60-year-olds to look at me and, go, and call me Grandpa. Praise God. I want, I'm, I'm planning on staying a long time. I just got here back, back to Oklahoma where I belong, and I want to stay a while. Amen. Amen. Plan on, plan on staying a while. But you can live long. God wants you to live long. He wants you to have a long life. He promised it. It's part of your covenant to live long. It's part of the promises, just like the promise to have, well, I'm preaching it, ain't I? I better just wait till next week. Oh, the Lord wants you to be blessed and prosper and live long. Amen.